The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. Today, we have a very special guest, a new friend of mine, Steve Barber. Steve is the president of Extreme Leadership and the founder of the Extreme Leadership Institute. And uh, he says that, that extreme isn't extreme unless there's fear involved. Ooh, oh, I can't wait to find out what that means. Um, you are, he's the best-selling author and three fabulous books right now that are really selling and making a difference in the world of leadership. And we're going to talk about those. His most recent book, Greater Than Yourself, The Ultimate Lesson in Leadership with a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. It's great to be here with you. It's great to have you. Now, where are you today? I'm in San Diego, where... um where it doesn't rain much, but uh, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a downside to that. But the upside is it's freaking beautiful every day. Yeah, yeah, that's really true. You know, it, this whole thing about the drought in California is a little scary. I would say that it's extreme under your definition, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, it is extreme, but not, not in the positive sense, which is the way that I yeah. work. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's an important distinction, right? That extreme can be positive. Um, I think the probably the most common terminology, uh, excuse me, the most common genre today that extreme is used in is sports, right? So extreme sports, yeah. and and um, that that really came around what, about ten years ago. They started really using that terminology, and it, you really see that these athletes take themselves to the edge. They really try things that other people won't. And those of us sitting in the gallery are holding our breath. Oh, my gosh, are they going to make it, right? Is that what you mean when you're talking about extreme leadership? Yeah, so, you know, extreme can be a positive thing depending on what it's modified, right? So if it's modifying something positive, then it's extremely positive. So I I think that, uh, that extreme sports is actually a pretty good metaphor for what leadership really is. And just to give your listeners some context, you know, I've been, I've been in the leadership development arena now for 25 years, and I've worked with all kinds of companies and all kinds of industries, probably just about every kind you can think of. And my study and my passion has been around really trying to understand what leadership is so I can help people to be better leaders. And what occurred to me, and this is probably about 15 years ago already, when extreme sports started to really become popular and you had the X Games and that kind of thing happening, was that it was really it was a, a really nice illustration of what real leadership is. 
So when I say real leadership, I don't mean leadership just because it says so on your business card. So leadership's not about your position or your title. It's not about what you call yourself or what label you put on yourself. It's about your ability to step up and change things for the better. And that is an extreme act. So real leadership, by its nature, it, it is extreme. And, and obviously every metaphor breaks down somewhere, right? But the extreme sports, like the way you just described it, Cheryl, you know, we watch it and it's exhilarating because these people are you know, pushing themselves to the edge of something that, that we can't even hardly imagine ourselves doing, right? And there's something right. exhilarating about seeing, there's something exhilarating about seeing somebody do that. Well, in leadership, if we're really trying to change our piece of the world for the better, it's, it's exhilarating and it's, and it's scary all at the same time, and, and it should be that way. And in fact, I would say that if you're not feeling that fear and that exhilaration when you're, when you're in the act of what you're calling leadership, if you're not experiencing that, you're probably not leading. So push it to the point where it scares you a little bit, just like a, you know, like a, a skateboarder does on a half pipe. I mean, it's a very similar kind of a thing. So just because a leader is scared, however, they may not be practicing extreme leadership in the words that you're talking about, right? They may be practicing something that is perhaps they're not really able to live up to the role that they're in if they're scared every day. So there there may not be some positive feelings of being in fear, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's um, let's not... Uh... I don't want to oversimplify it. There's, there are a few more criteria involved. If that's all that it took, <laughs> we yeah. can find all kinds of ways to scare ourselves every day. You could drive into a brick wall at 40 miles an hour. That's pretty scary. Uh, but that's not leadership. So, yeah, you're right. It, it's, it's an indicator. It, it's one of, in the right context, let me put it that way, in the right context, the fear and the, and the, the exhilaration um, is, is an indicator that you're doing it, but it has to be in the right context. And that context is, is, the, is a framework that I've been, you know, exploring for, for many, many years now. And, and that's really what defines extreme leadership more than the fear. It's what I call the, the, the radical leap, L-E-A-P, which stands for love, energy, audacity, and proof. That's the framework through which you know, if you're really doing those things, that, that fear will be there because you're, you're really pushing the boundaries. Well, you know, my experience of you is that you are extremely authentic. What you see is what you get with Steve Farber. And I find it fascinating that in your early career in the leadership field, and you worked with Tom Peters, who's the author of In Search of Excellence, Tom always struck me as somebody who was a straight shooter um, he called things like they were. He really pushed the edges of um, what organizations should be doing, living, providing for their employees and for their customers. And you might, it's almost like you cut your teeth with them. Would you say that's true? Yeah, yeah. That, I think that I think that is true. Um, one of one of the uh, one of several teeth cutting engagements that I was involved in. But that's probably uh, probably the most significant. Um, yeah. So Tom. You know, if, if your listeners are, I'm going to say, under 40 years old, there's, there's an, unfortunately, they may not have heard of them before, believe it or not. So, so Tom Peters 
is the co-author of uh, with with Bob Waterman of In Search of Excellence, which came out some ungodly number of decades ago already. And and really, that book is still an excellent book, um, and it it really changed the landscape of, of business because it, it got us to rethink. And I say us, I mean as a society collectively to rethink what a healthy organization, what an excellent organization looks like. And it, it, it was really the original driver of, of encouraging us to be more, you know, people-focused as opposed to product-focused or process-focused and, and being more collaborative and being more inclusive in the way that we run our companies. And it really changed the, changed the landscape in, in, in a lot of significant ways. So I was the vice president of, of the Tom Peters Company uh, for about six years, from 1994 to, to the year 2000. And so I count Tom as, as one of my mentors, along with Jim Kuzis and Barry Posner, who are the co-authors of the Leadership Challenge and, and a couple of others. But Tom is, as you say, he's a straight shooter. He's also just uh, incredibly brilliant and has yeah. an amazing knack to take a look at what's going on in the world and derive the lessons from it, particularly in the world of business. Uh, so yeah, there's you know he is um, he's a, he's the embodiment of audacity for one thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I, yes. I did learn I, I learned an awful lot from Tom, and his work very deeply informs my own uh, on, on a lot of levels. So I'm curious, Steve. You know you've run your own company for years, but before you ever even got into the field of leadership, you ran your own financial services company. And I'm wondering what your experience of leading that company was that then propelled you into want to help others learn about leadership. Yeah. So I started everything pretty young. I started the family young and I started the business young. And I had ended up with my own financial services firm before I was 30 years old. And when I say financial services, um, I'm being rather polite. Um, I was in the commodities futures business. Uh-huh. If you have any, if you have any interest in the futures markets at all, just come talk to me, and I'll talk you out of it. Uh, <laughs> it, is, it is a very speculative proposition. So, for to put it in perspective for you, the stock market looks like a checking account next to the futures market. Um, right. Very volatile, and people lose their money. But I had, uh, I had a knack for working with people, and, and I have you know, an entrepreneurial bent to me. So I, I, you know, I, I got a job in the industry, and I ended up with my own small shop. So here's the thing. To answer your question specifically, here's what I discovered for myself, and it wasn't, it wasn't the most pleasant of discoveries. Here I was, from the outside looking in, living the classic American dream. I had my own company. I was my own boss. I was responsible for the marketing, for the hiring, for the firing, for the training. And I really learned how to run a business, and and it just looked great. The only problem was I hated it. <laughs> I hated that business. I had a very deep moral dilemma with my own business. It's a very strange place to be when it's your own mm-hmm. business. We've all had jobs that we've hated, but when it's your own company, you know, it's, it's a little problematic to say the least. Oh, and, yeah. and the problem that I had with it was, I'm, you know, I'm a very service-oriented, relationship-oriented person, and I would build these great relationships with clients and see my brokers do the same thing, only to, to see my clients get blown out of the water time and time again. And I finally made the decision to get out. 
I had no idea what I was going to get into, but I knew I couldn't do that anymore. Uh, it was killing me. And I was, that's way too young to die. You know, I wasn't even 30 yet. And, and it just, it just led me on a, on an exploration of what, what is it that I'm suited to do? What, what is it that, I, that I'm, you know, quote, supposed to be doing on this planet? And I combined my business experience with my love for working with people and my communication abilities into, you know, over time getting involved in the study of leadership and helping people to be better leaders. And a lot of that was informed by what not to do. And one of the things that I learned early on, and it's clear to me now in retrospect, although it wasn't necessarily at the time, is that the absence of love in my work or for my work, made me see at a very early phase in my career as a business person how important love is and mm-hmm. how important it is to love your business. I loved the people that worked for me, but we were doing work that, that, was, that, that just was completely incongruent with, with how I saw the world. So that's why I hated it. And so when I talk now about how important love is in business, a lot of that comes from, I mean, it's not empty rhetoric. Uh, certainly, I can build a, a good case for that. But a lot of it comes from my early experience of having the complete opposite and how, how just dangerous and detrimental that was to me, to my family, and to everybody around me. So, you know, there's a lot of people who work the commodities and future markets, and I'm wondering, are there people in that arena who do love it and so for them, it's actually okay. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. listen, I'm not, uh, I'm not making a judgment call on the industry. Yeah. What I'm saying is that for me, there was, there was a conflict between what I was seeing, the way that I was working, and, my, and what was really valuable to me as a, as a human being. So somebody can, right. and by the way, there are lots of ways to do the commodities business. If you're right. in a business where you're only concerned, if you're only concerned, is generating commissions. If your only concern is getting the client in the door so you can trade their accounts so they can pay you know pay you commissions, then yeah, you can love that. But you know what? Uh, there are criminals that love their work too. That doesn't. That's not the whole story. So I, I don't know that I could call that technically criminal, but I do think it's a, it's immoral and it's unethical. On the other hand, if your intent is really to help your client make money, and you're going to get paid to do that and you're doing everything you can to see your client succeed, and, you're, and you have a high tolerance for risk, and so do your clients, then if that's your yeah. thing, if that trips your trigger, then that's, that's fine. That's great. Mm-hmm. So, again, it, so, comes down to, it comes down to a values choice, really, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot of talk about values in business these days. There have been for a long time. And some people recoil at that whole concept because of what it has kind of turned into in the consulting industry with leadership. How do you help your clients look at their values in a way that they can hear it and that it's meaningful for them? Yeah, it's become it's become a watered down, overly used, and rather sterile term because the way the way there's a couple of problems with it. One is is um, the interpretation of values is that, uh, um, you know, I have a certain set of, of values, and, and if, if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Um, right. The other problem with it is, particularly in the business context, is we come to equate values with that laminated statement 
on the you know, that, oh, yeah. that you carry that you carry in your wallet or that you see calligraphied on the the walls of your company. Value <laughs> is not your value statement. Just like vision is not your vision statement. The values, mm-hmm. simply put, are are the things that are really important to you as an individual and as yeah. a company. We all have them. I don't really care what you call them. We all have those you know, that set of principles, whether we can articulate them or not. But that kind of internal radar that says, I believe in that, I like that, I resonate with that, or I don't. So for, for an organization and for a leader within an organization, when, when you're an organization, by definition, is a collection of people. So we have to do the work to determine what's important to us as an organization, what's important to us as a culture in the way that we operate every day. And, mm. and that's, you know, that's a really significant exploration. It's not a poetry contest. It's not about getting a bunch of executives together on an offsite and sit down and hammer out the right words and phrases that you can then, as I said, laminate the hand out to everybody in the company. It's really about having the right discussions about what's, what's important in our relationships with each other, with our customers, and with the world. What kind of an impact are we trying to create? And what, and how are we going to make that happen in the way that we operate? every day. Is it okay for us to, you know, to lie to each other? Or is it okay for us to be transparent, another buzzword nowadays, with what's going on and, and what, our, what our financial state is? You know, these are all values questions. So it doesn't matter what you call it, Cheryl. It's really about just understanding what's important and then having the nerve in the positive sense to really stick by those principles every day, not just adhere to them when, when it's convenient, but to really stick by them even when things get tough. Absolutely. And we're going to learn from you just how to do that when we come right back. Yeah. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations with my very special guest, Steve Barber, today. Steve, we were talking about values and, you know, how to live them in organizations. And help me and help our listeners know, you know, how do you get people to live them? It seems like, you know, even if we identify what's important to us in today's business world, there are so many competing priorities that we must sometimes push our own values aside and, you know, do what is required, quote-unquote. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a messy process for one thing. So there's a, there's a couple of levels to that. First of all, and, and I'd say that this, uh, this falls under the category of, of what I call provide proof, right? Mm-hmm. So proof, in a lot of ways, is, is your being congruent with your own values. It's, it's doing what you say you will do, for example. So I prove to you that I mean what I say by making sure that that my actions live up to my word. So if I say to you, for example, that um, uh, the, the, here's a classic: the, the the customer the customer is is king, customer is queen, right? Customer uh, comes yeah. first, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Customer yeah. first. I say to you, the customer is first as your boss. But if you see me acting differently towards our customers, or you hear me talking about these stupid customers that are always, if we just get out of our way, we can get our work done, work done around here. <laughs> and I've heard that. And I have, I have, all I've proven to you is that, is that it's just an empty platitude, right? Yeah. On the other hand, to, to, to your point, there are times where the customer comes first, smacks up against the other classic, which is our people are our most important asset. Uh, right. So what comes first, the customer or the employee? And there are times where you have to compromise one for the other, at least on the short term, right? So my employee is sitting at my desk and having a crisis. And at that moment, a client, a very important client calls in who's having a crisis and needs my attention right now. You both need my attention right now. Which, which conversation do I have right now? Um, so, and that's just part of the human condition. So sometimes, at least in the short term, it appears like we're compromising one value for another, and, and we have to. We have to negotiate that all the time. So then the question becomes, how do you handle that, right? Who do you, who do you have the conversation to explain, you know, do, do I say to my employee, listen, we're going to pick up this conversation right here as soon as I put out this fire with my client, I promise you, and then following through on that promise. Because that's a, most likely, you know, a, a deep day-to-day relationship, you're going to get the, the benefit of the doubt there. You just have to follow through on your promise. So th- we all we want all of this to be clean. We want it to be really simple. We want the formula. You know, give me the, the formula that I can, I can be congruent with all my values all the time or give me the, the one formula that makes me a great leader in all situations. The problem is that formula does not exist. All we have are guidelines and guideposts and and. And then we just kind of figure it out as we go along. You know, we help each other to do it. You know, I, I find that fascinating because you know, I think about 
employees in companies who would say to you, if you said that, well, okay, but tell me what to say. Now, what would I say even to you tell me the customer is king and you tell me employees are important and I have this crisis with both people sitting in front of me and then I have to say what, you know, and, and then I have to decide what, how do I decide which is a more important crisis? You know, does it determine, is it based on the level of relationship I already have with this customer or with this employee? I mean, what's the advice there? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to give formulaic advice for that because it's all situational. Right. 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 So when the, the, it's a, it's a warning sign when people say, well, give me, give me the script, you know, give me the script for dealing with this dilemma, that dilemma, this conflict, that conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would be nice if we had that kind of operating manual. Um, but I don't, again, I don't think it exists. There are, there are some principles that we can, that we can adhere to. So if, you know, if, uh, and, and you're, you know, you're a, uh, you know, a highly successful executive coach, Cheryl, you, you deal with these kind of questions all the time. You don't give the yeah. same answer to every client, right? Oh, no. It depends, Not it depends on the situation. It depends on their relationships. It depends on their, on their communication ability. But, but I'd say that the principle overall is, is one of clarity. It, it becomes a problem yeah. when you really haven't thought much about what, what's important to you. So I think that's that's really great preparation, and most organizations don't give people uh, the time and the space to do that. Just to stop and think: What do we really stand for? What's really important? What do I stand for? What's really important to me? And does that resonate with what what our culture is like? Am I in the right place? And just the clearer you are on that, the easier it is to make those decisions when the dilemmas come up. As opposed to saying, also, I'm not, really sure, what my, I'm not really sure what my values are. Just tell me what to say when I get compromised. You know, that doesn't work. <laughs> well, and um, I, I think that then the key there is that it sounds like you have to really trust your people. You have to teach them the process of thinking through the situation, not necessarily feeding them the language, but thinking through the situation in order to know how to make that choice. But really trusting them because if they make the wrong choice, it wouldn't be okay for this leader to say, you messed up and you're fired, right? Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, trust and authenticity are, are, are um, uh, it, it's, it's just fundamental to all of this stuff, right? Any discussion on leadership, any discussion on engagement or culture, it really comes down to uh, what is the level of trust? And, like, for example, um, if, you want, if you want your team, your company, whatever the context is, to be more innovative, there has to be a high level of trust because, like yeah. what you just said, if you're going to be innovative, you're going to fail, almost by, yeah. de- by definition, right? There are times you try yeah. something and it doesn't work. So what are the consequences that get doled out when somebody makes a mistake or somebody screws up? Is it, how could you be so stupid, or is it, what did you learn from that? Yeah. Those are very different questions. The question, what did you learn from that, or what could we learn from that, or what lesson did you learn that's going to be good for all of us, is a, is a trust-based question, and asking the question engenders more trust. Because now I feel like, okay, I can stretch, I can grow, I can screw up from time to time. I'm not talking about mistakes of incompetence or apathy. That's a, that's a different animal. 
but but the right. mistakes that happen that that come from the right place and the right intention. Um, it, the the way that a person is responded to by their, you know, by people further up the organization usually, is going to determine whether or not they take more risks. And when I tell you, I trust you. This gets back to that values congruence again, if I, and proving it. If I tell you I trust you, and you go and you try something, and and I'm looking over your shoulder every minute. I'm micromanaging you the whole way. Oh, I trust you. Just tell me what you're doing. I trust you. What are you doing now? I trust you. Then what we're saying is I, I don't trust you. <laughs> right? You so it, it has implications in everything that we do. And, and this is yeah. the thing that, that people need to, particularly people in, in, in positions of leadership, really need to understand that everything that we say and everything that we do is seen and heard by everybody else and people interpret our actions all the time, constantly mm-hmm. interpreting our actions, whether we need it or not. And, and that's yeah. tough because none of us is perfect. We're all going to screw up from time to time, but we need to be cognizant right. of the fact that we're living under a microscope. And everything is, is, a, is, a, is a commentary, in a sense, of what our stated values are. Right? So, again, it gets back to the, if I say customers, customer first, but I, I make a little comment here, or roll my eyes there in the wrong context. People interpret that, and it, and they're comparing it to the words. They're comparing my actions to the words. They're doing a, a credibility check at every at every mm-hmm. possible moment. So this sounds like this would fall into the category of the love part of leap in extreme leadership. So how about the E part, the energy part? What is this? Well, actually, everything that we've been talking about so far falls under the proof category of, of leap. Uh-huh. Um, oh, yeah, uh-huh. absolutely. They're they're all they're all interrelated, certainly. Right? Uh-huh. Uh, I'm much more likely to love somebody who's who's congruent, who, who's who I can trust. Um, but but the the love element in in the context of business is is really um, you know it's a provocative word to say in the same sentence as business, and a lot of us are, are not comfortable with it. And and just it's just it's a really very simple thing. The bottom line is we want we've been talking about customers so far. We want our customers to love us. That's what we want. That's what any decent business person wants. I want you to love our product or love our service. I want you to love the relationship that you have with us because that's what makes for a healthy business. That's where the money's going to come from, and that's what our where our competitive advantage comes from. So to say that love is no place in business which a lot of us were kind of trained to believe, is just mm. crap. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's stupid. It's, it's bad business. You know, love, love is the foundation of great business. If you, if you have customers loving you, you're, you're in good shape. Now, mm-hmm. if that's going to happen, then it follows then that we need to create a culture that people love working in because that's the way that we're going to – they're going to more naturally and, and more significantly over time deliver a, a, an experience that customers are going to love if they love working there. So we need to create a culture that people love working in. And then if I'm, going to, if I'm going to create that kind of a culture, where it has to start, of course, is that I need to love it myself first. I can't create a culture that people love working in if I can't stand this place. <laughs> right. So, so it all comes. It's all very. It's ultimately very personal. So the question then becomes: Why? Why do I love this work? Why do I love this business? And it's something to aspire to. That doesn't mean I'm not suggesting 
that we have to love everything about our work. Uh, it'd be great. I mean, personally speaking, you know, speaking for myself, I love my work. I don't love everything about my work. I don't love airports, for example. <laughs> um, but there are things that I have to do that I don't love. Things that I don't love that I have to do in order to do the work that I love. And there's a technical term for that. It's called being an adult, I think. So, <laughs> so you know, it, but it, <laughs> but the connection has to be there in, in our own hearts. So that's the love piece. Hmm. And so, so, so you've got that part down. Let's say you've got that part down. What is the energy part? Yeah, so energy is, uh, there, there are a lot of synonyms for it that we use nowadays. We use, uh, you know, engagement, we use enthusiasm, we use uh, uh, lots of other nice E-words. Um, energy is the juice that you bring to your work. It's the, it's the, uh, that sense of, of aliveness, right? It's, you, you know it. It's a, it's a tangible thing. You know, you know when you have energy, you know when you don't. You know those mm-hmm. days where you jump out of bed in the morning, you know those days you fall out of bed in the morning, right? It's a very different thing. You know when you're around energetic people and when you're not. You know those kind of people that when they walk into the room, the place lights up, and the other kind of people, they walk into the room, they suck the life out of the place, like the energy vampires, right? And everybody goes up and dies. So, right. so our job as extreme leaders is to generate energy, is to put more energy in the environment that we're taking out. There are lots of ways to do that. Um, and love is the, is the first one. I mean, love generates energy. Uh, but it's about, you know, it's really about tapping into the, into the, the, the needs, aspirations, desires of, of, of the people that we work with and, and of, of the business. What is the higher sense of purpose in our business? What is it that we really do here beyond the transactional nature of our work? Those are very energizing things to most human beings, right? If I feel like I'm, I'm involved in something, that's, uh, that, that's bigger, that's greater than myself, um, I tend to bring more energy into what I'm doing every day. Hmm. Well, how can a leader by themselves, you know, what's the self-check for this? How can they, you know, say, well, am I on track, am I not on track with this kind of thinking? Well, it's a good question. I, I think, um, you know, a lot of it is is self-reflection, and a lot of it is, is seeking feedback. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the best the best thing to do, and, and I think they're both important, right? There's like an inner and an outer in all of this. So to, to stop and ask the question, you know, why do I love my work and what is it that we're really doing here and what am I trying to accomplish and what kind of an impact are we going to have and how are we going to change the world? These are all really important questions for us to sort out for ourselves. In terms of the impact that we're having, on the organization and on the people around us, the best way to, to, to learn that is to ask, right? Is to, is to ask the question, how, yeah. how am I, is the old Ed, you know, Ed Koch, right, the legendary former mayor of New York, was famous oh, yeah. for walking around the streets of New York and just walking up to your average New Yorker and saying, how am I doing as your mayor? <laughs> and, you know, you ask a New Yorker that question, you're going to get an honest answer, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So I believe that we need to do the same thing. We need to be able to say to our constituents, to our team, to our colleagues, how am I doing? You know, help me out here. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Where can I get better? And, and to ask, what kind of an impact? Hey, when I walk into a room, 
what happens? Do people, you know, are people happy to see me or are they happier when I leave? You know, that kind of thing. It's yeah. seeking, seeking feedback from those, from, from the people around you is the, the best way to know. And that includes customers, by the way. Absolutely. And, you know, that could, for some people could be their edge of fear for that day. Not everybody's comfortable with that. But we're going to talk more about this with Steve Farber when we come right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. Steve Farber is my very special guest, the author of The Radical Leap, A Personal Lesson in Extreme Leadership. Steve, that was one of your first books. And you have just now a 10th anniversary edition that is really fun. If anybody has not picked it up, I really recommend that you do. It is, um, you know, this has become kind of a classic leadership book. And in the crowded world of, of leadership writing, that is not an easy thing to do. Why do you think this book was so um, intrigued people so much? Yeah, thank you for that. It's a, it's a lovely compliment. The question itself is a lovely compliment. I appreciate it. Um, the Radical Leap uh, came out 10 years ago in the, in the original edition. And as you mentioned, we just released the 10th anniversary edition of the book. The, and it's connected with, with a lot of people on a very deep level. Um, listen, I'm not going to suggest that everybody that reads the book loves it. But the, like any book, but the people who do connect with it connect with it very deeply, and it's it's transformed a lot of 
lives and a lot of businesses. And, yeah. and it's, it's, it's really, it's a humbling thing, and it's, there's nothing more gratifying to an author than to see that kind of an impact. And I think, I think the reason is, there's a couple of things. First of all, it's, it's written as a novel. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's got characters and dialogue, and, and, and I narrate the story, so I'm actually, I'm actually telling the story of the book. Uh, so the tone of it, I think, is very accessible to people, and it's entertaining, and, and if I could say so myself, it's pretty funny, too. Um, but, but, you know, it's, that's my sense of humor saying that, but I, I, I crack myself up all the time. Um, so it's, you know, it's a delivery system, as it were, I think it's entertaining. And I have to tell you, Cheryl, that the, the concern that I had, one of the concerns that I had when we first published the book was that the name, The Radical Leap, was yeah. well, that the content would not live up to the name. Because to me, the ideas in this book like cultivating love at work, for example, they seem pretty obvious based on my experience and the work that I've done, and I didn't think people would think it was that radical. But as it turns out, it's pretty radical stuff. It's pretty provocative for a lot of people. So the combination of it being really accessible and entertaining and, and having some, some ideas in there that I think really provoke people to think about themselves as leaders, sometimes for the mm. first time, and, and for more accomplished, you know, experienced leaders to think about their leadership very differently and to think about how they can actually change the world using these ideas, uh, I think it's a combination of those things that's, that's really made this, uh, you know, has given it the staying power that it has. Now, I, I'm wondering about the whole idea, again, about fear. You know, people want their leaders to be confident and clear and know where they're going, and they want to be able to trust them to get them there. And I'm wondering how much of the fear that leaders feel they should actually reveal to others. Yeah, it's a great question. And there there is a line there. And and by the way, the the way that the, the terminology that I use is that the fear, fear is, it's a loaded, it's a loaded word. There are different oh, yeah. Things. So I'm talking about the pursuit of what I call the OSM, which is spelled capital O, capital oh. S, exclamation mark, capital M, uh-huh. which stands for you know, that's the ocean <laughs> moment, right? Uh, so, so, so that is, is the, uh, it's that kind of fear and exhilaration wrapped up together. Now, the thing is this. We are all human, and we all know that we're all human. This is not a, this is not a, a, a secret. <laughs> and yeah. the fact that we're all human means that all of us fail from time to time, and all of us are scared from time to time. So the fine line is this. You, you're not going to get much confidence. You're not going to have much confidence in a leader who is always frightened, <laughs> Who, who's, who's scared to the point where they can't make a decision and they're always complaining and they're always, and they're, you know, trembling in the corner. That, that's not what I'm talking about. On the other hand, for, for a leader who's, that, that, that you love, that you trust, for that leader to stand up and say, you know what, I tried something and it scared the hell out of me and, and, and I screwed it up, but I learned X from it. Mm-hmm. It actually deepens the connection. It, it deepens the confidence because we follow human beings. We don't follow some, you know, some, some infallible, idealized, you know, icon of human perfection that's walking around with us every day because we know there's nobody like that. So when a person, this is the, the interesting kind of paradox of this. 
or irony in it. Uh, the, the moment the person appears to be infallible, invulnerable, fearless, perfect, they're automatically suspect. Right. Because we know that they, we know they got to be hiding something. <laughs> right. Right. So it's that fine line. It's not being scared all the time and, and revealing our, our deepest fears at every moment. But it's, it's, it's balancing and blending. And, you know, it's all about authenticity. It's blending your real, you know, confidence and courage and love and the energy that you create. It's balancing that with, and here, these are the moments that scare me. And these are the things that I worry about. And this is the thing that I screwed up on. Because by doing that, I give you permission to have that same experience. And I give you permission to, to be more innovative, like we were talking about earlier, because you know that, that it's a, what you're experiencing is normal and it's natural. Mm. What scares you? Everything. <laughs> people. I'm terrified of people. I don't go out of my house. Um, you know, what, what scares me is, um, is whenever, I, whenever I put something out, uh, it, it's, it's going to sound kind of odd because I'm in the business of, uh, of ideas, right? But I'd say what, what scares me is people ultimately um, not valuing the perspective that I have. So, yeah. for example, when I, when I write a new book, it's like, it's like one, it, it's, it's a love-hate kind of a thing. I love the process of it, and I hate the process of it. It's like every, yeah. every idea that emerges is like, is that viable? Is it valuable? Is it gonna, and then when, when you publish it, you know, when I publish a book and put it out there for the world to see, that's, it's really exciting and it's really terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's probably the scariest thing mm. for me. Actually, you know, I the, think about the that. Truth is, with, the with, truth is, the truth is, not, there's not a lot that, that genuinely scares me. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I live, I live in the world of, of, uh, of human performance. So it's, it's that, that fear that the ideas that I have will not be valuable. And that's very personal, right? I mean, you love your Absolutely. work. And if you put that out as your work and your passion and people say to you, um, well, yawn, so what? Uh, you know, it's like, uh, so tell me something else that would make a difference for me. Um, it would be devastating because then this work that you love would feel like it was inadequate. Um, and how do you help people bounce back from situations like that? Because we've all had clients who have had that type of experience, and sometimes the resiliency isn't as strong as it should be. How do you help them yeah. do that? Well, again, it, it gets back to who the person is and what the situation is. But I think I think the principle is... Um, it, it's, all, uh, it's all about perspective and, and helping people have perspective. So when I said a couple of minutes ago that, that a great gift that a leader can give somebody is to share their own fears, that's, yeah. that's a big part of why that's important. So when somebody is feeling beat down, they're losing their resiliency, they, they had a failure, and they're not recovering from it, a lot of times it's, it's really helpful to know, for them to know that this is, it feels like the only person in the world that's ever had that experience. Yeah, and for them right. to know that, that, 
that hey, join the club, kind of a thing, without diminishing what they're what they're you know what they're experiencing. But having that's what I mean by having perspective, right? That it's this is something this is part of the human process, and and also just to to be a sounding board, just to to, to let them talk and give them some good receptive ears to listen to, uh, mm-hmm. and then knowing knowing that place where it's time to help them move off the dime by being a little bit prescriptive in what they should do next and what action they could take to help them get over it and to hold them, help to hold them accountable to do it. So those are very general principles, I know, uh, because it, it, depends on, it depends on the person, right? Yeah, um, right. And the other thing, too, is it's just, oftentimes it's just time. It's time, the passage of time uh, mm-hmm. can, can help to alleviate a lot of that. But sometimes you don't have that luxury, do you? Uh, absolutely true. You know, I think about our political system and politicians, and we as a society, especially in the West, have decided that uh, politicians need to be omnipotent, and they have no room for mistakes, and um, we do not give them a whole lot of grace. So how do you apply this? How do politicians apply this? Does this work for them? Yeah, um, I think I think it should. I think it should. But they're they're very they're absolutely terrified of doing that. So yeah. instead, what we get is we get the spin, spin after spin after spin because there's this thing that, you know, if I'm running for office, I can't I can't let any of my, um, you know, uh, mistakes or foibles be known to people because then they'll they'll know yeah. I'm not perfect. Uh, and, right. and part of that is it, it's a it's a little bit apples to oranges than most of it from what most of us experience every day because in the political arena, my mistakes aren't going to be just listened to. You're not just going to hear me out. The other side is going to take those mistakes and yeah. and and amplify them to whatever degree they possibly have. Yeah. So we put we do put an impossible standard on them, and it's part of just the way our political system has evolved. So whatever side, right or left, the other side is going to just just like you know sharks after the blood. Whereas yeah. you and I, fortunately, we don't experience that every day. I mean, there are some organizations that are a little bit more political, and there'll be people that'll use your mistakes to their advantage. But in my experience, mm-hmm. it's the minority. That, that's not usually the case. In most cases, it's, you know, we're going to help each other. We're going to rise to the occasion and help each other. So you got a Democrat and a Republican, and one of them, you know, there's some potential scandal that comes out, and the other side's going to, the other side's not going to say, oh, let me help you with that. Oh, here's a person who's in need of some assistance. Let me offer that. You're not going to do that. They're going to say, how can we, how can we amplify that and, and use it to, um, take them out of the game, as it were. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, when poli- it's really funny. You know, politicians will cop to their mistakes when there's no other place to go, right? They back into a corner, there's no other place to go, and they, get, and they stand up and they say, yes, I did, I did that, I had that affair, I did this thing or that thing. Um, so I think, I think we're all really fortunate. It, it's, it's a rare breed, and listen, I... I, I have, I'm, gra- I'm grateful that there are people that that take on the, the role of public service. I really am. But uh, for most of us, I think we're fortunate to not have to not have to deal with that every day mm. in terms of our own leadership. And talk about people who must be scared every day, but have to push that away. Otherwise, why would they keep 
you know, getting up every morning and doing it again. Um, but they, you know, they must be have that that edge of fear because there's so much at stake, right? Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing: the fear doesn't have to have to remain as fear because our our um, tendency is to interpret fear as a negative thing. Mm. And what I'm suggesting is that in the right context, it's actually a positive thing. Yeah. Because it's an indicator that you're really doing something, right? right? So that's what I, you know, when I said earlier, there are different kinds of fear, right? And, and it's in different circumstances that breed different flavors of fear. But the fear that you have when you're stepping up to change things for the better, to know that that's a natural thing, and then when you feel it, you're like, oh, there it is. That's a good thing. That means I'm doing something. So we're reframing it, in a sense, to be more of a positive thing and less of a negative thing. So it's not about living in fear all the time. It's about trying something new, you know, putting yourself out there, sticking your neck out. It's experiencing that fear and looking at it and saying, oh, that's normal, that's natural. And then after a while, it kind of dissipates, and then you go, you find it somewhere else by taking on a new challenge. Yeah. One of my favorite questions to ask clients is, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And it takes a long time for people to answer that question. It's a very yeah. interesting question. Yeah. And, and often, you know, it, they have to go back to that place where they were really afraid. And, yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Steve, we've right. got the end of I can't even believe it. So I know people are going to want to know so much more about you and your books and how they can reach you. So how can they reach you? Um. The easiest place to reach me is at stevefarber.com, or if you go to extremeleadership.com, it'll point you to the same place. And I encourage you to, to go there. I have uh, there's a free audio series that you can sign up for. I get great feedback from it. Um, so if you want to go deep into this material, that's the place to go, stevefarber.com or extremeleadership.com, and you can read all about extreme leadership and watch a bunch of videos on my blog, uh, lives there, and lots of, lots of good content on there. And and then, you know, I encourage you to check out the Radical Leap, the 10th Anniversary Edition. And it just came out um, in uh, the audiobook version as well, which turned out really great. I'm really happy with it. Uh, that's uh, you can find that on Audible. Um, so, yeah, that's the easiest place. And and here's the thing. You know, if you, uh, if you send me an email, and you'll connect with me, you know, through the website, but if you send me an email... Um, I will respond. That, that's my that's my commitment. Uh, my emails go directly to me, you know, through the website. And my promise to you is that if you have a question, a comment, concern, emotional outburst, want to share a story, whatever, uh, I'll respond to you. It may take me some time, but I promise that I will. Mm-hmm. Well, and Steve Barber is a man of his word, so you can count on the fact that he will do that. Steve, thank you for being here today. It's been our pleasure to have you on Leading Conversations. And we look forward to the next time we can have you here. Thanks so much, Cheryl. I appreciate it. Remember, everyone, to think big. The world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. 
Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.